Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 4th of July 2023. Happy Independence Day. Since it is Independence Day, it's going to be a short-ish show on the lighter side, but uh, maybe not even short-ish, but I'm going to do what I do every Independence Day, which is play the Declaration of Independence as read by celebrities. But we'll get to that at the end. I've got some stuff that I recorded already, and uh, we'll play that first about a bunch of whole bunch of little news stories going on out there. Because, like I say, man, the stupidity never ever stops. I hope you're having some good chart animal flash, or some good company, or both, or whatever it is what you do to mark Independence Day. It's pretty cool. Coming up on 250 years as a country, so. Hopefully we'll all be around for that. These moronic politicians don't kill us all before then. Wouldn't that be nice? Anyway, let us start the show. Action-packed program for you planned today. And I want to start off, well, we're going to get to somebody I affectionately call Ginger Goebbels. Jen Psaki, former White House spokesmodel for Barack Obama. Then she just made it official and went over to MSNBC. But I just saw this story. And I love it too much. So I'm going to start just reading this a little bit from The Blaze. I love it when the Frank, you know, I always say Frankenstein's monster always returns to the castle to burn it down. It's just, that's the story of Frankenstein. You can send this creature, this abomination out into the wild and enjoy it. You sit up there at your perch and you watch it burning the village. And you're like, oh, that's great. That's good. That's good. Go get them. Go get those town folks. That's, keep them in line, whatever. But sooner or later, the monster returns back to the castle. The castle always gets destroyed. When political correctness comes back to bite the rear ends of the progressive left, I love it. I love it. I love watching people get a big, giant, fat, smelly dose of their own medicine. That's what this story from The Blaze is. The University of Cincinnati, they write, has ordered an adjunct instructor in the Department of Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies. <laughs> actually, that sounds sounds a lot like my uh, my college years without actually being a formal area of study. Uh, blah, blah, blah. To undergo free speech training after she gave a student zero for referring to, quote, biological women in a final project proposal. Yeah, God forbid you you actually cite biological reality. The instructor, Melanie Nipper, <laughs> if you wrote this in fiction, they'd go, you, it's a great story. You've got to come up with better names, more realistic, more believable names. The instructor, Melanie Nipper, was formally reprimanded for giving student Olivia, Olive, Krolos, it's, I don't know, C-R-O-L-C-Z-Y-K, that sounds, it's probably pronounced like a sneeze. It seems to be how it's spelled. Gave her zero points on a women's gender studies in pop culture final project proposal, the New York Post said, citing a report from the Cincinnati Inquirer. As an aside, this is a testament to just how lazy media is. They're citing a New York Post story 
that cited a Cincinnati Inquirer story. Did anybody pick up the phone? Did anybody do anything? Like one person wrote something online and everybody else went crazy and just said, here's a story. Rewrite it. Rewrite it. You want to know why we're losing the media wars? Maybe that's why. As conservatives, we just basically say, somebody did something. Rip it off. Reword it. But give credit, but reword it. Krasinski, sneeze girl, in May posted a viral TikTok video saying her instructor wrote, quote, Olivia, this is a solid proposal. However, the terms biological women are excluded. This is a college professor. I'm going to read this, and uh, you can see just how poorly written this is. The terms, and then there's one term. Term is not a word. It's a term. The terms, plural, biological women are exclusion. So are, is this teacher saying biological is exclusionary and women is also exclusionary? I, I don't understand the terms biological women. I mean, it's... It's the Department of Women's Studies on top of the other two. So I'm like, okay, so your department is exclusionary. However, the terms biological women are exclusionary and are not allowed in this course as they further reinforce heteronormativity, end quote. Olivia, in the video, didn't divulge the name of her instructor, the name of her school, or her own last name. Also in the video, she called the zero-grade biased and added that her project, quote, is about transgender transgenders competing in biological women's sports. Quote, how am I supposed to do a final project if I can't use the words biological women? But that's what my project is about, end quote. In another TikTok video, she added that she would be taking up the issue with her school's Office of Equal Opportunity. See, this is the thing. The left is going to impose all of these ridiculous restrictions on you, and then they're going to set up all these safeguards, quote-unquote safeguards, to basically police you. We're not, allowed, we're not telling you you can't say something like this, but we will punish you if you do. But the Post said the Inquirer later obtained the university's letter formally reprimanding Nipper, which it indicated it uh, would be placing, placed her on per, in her permanent record, in addition to completing training in the school's free speech policy. The letter also said Mip, Nipper must submit future syllabi for approval. She's got to hate this. She has absolutely got to hate this. Quote, it is also understood that any other violations of UC, University of Cincinnati, policy may be subject to further disciplinary actions up to and including termination, the letter said. Quote, you are reminded that as an unrepresented, unclassified at-will employee, your employment may be terminated with or without cause. Oof. The threat of cancellation. This is this is why they love tenure so much on the left. So once they get that, it's like breaking the finish line after a marathon. You can't do anything to me. They, it's like OJ. OJ could come out right now and give detailed uh, description of how he murdered. Well, he kind of did. He wrote a book about how he murdered Ron and Nicole. It's, but his book was if he did it. He'd come out and say, yeah, damn right I did it. And there wouldn't be a damn thing anybody could do about it. Because he's already been tried and acquitted by a jury of people who wanted to take out perceived social ills on people who did not do them. 
God, you got to love politics. Ashley Currier, head of the Department of Women and Genders Studies at UC, handed down the reprimand, the Post said, citing uh, the Inquirer, adding that Nipper responded June 19th, requesting an appeal. Isn't that nice? Finally getting a, a dose of their own medicine. This is what I say when I tell you, if you get the chance, use, they set up all of this weaponry. The left did. In all of these circumstances, they have set up... See, the left loves victimhood. It's kind of like Bitcoin. Everybody wants to be an early adapter. The more you get of it, the better off you are. It is currency over there. If you can find a way to check a box in the hierarchy of victimhood, you're doing okay. But if you could check two, three, four, maybe even five boxes, you're, I don't know, a transgender, pansexual lesbian, minority, whatever, whatever. If you can just check as many boxes as you can, you get more power, you get more Bitcoin, you get more credibility. And they set this system up to try and give out as much of this Bitcoin as humanly possible. But they've cast the net so wide in a desperate attempt to paint everybody as a victim that even normal people who aren't interested in it, can use the system against them. So God bless this student sitting there going, you know what? Most students, if this were me, I'd go, oh God, I guess I got to resubmit this thing. I just wouldn't, it wouldn't even occur to me to go. I mean, I didn't go to college in a time like this, but it wouldn't even have occurred to me to go, well, I will go to the administration and complain. I'd go to the teacher and go, like, what the hell, man? If I resubmit this without your offensive term, can I not get a zero? And then, you know, I'd probably just do that to get it over with. I wouldn't want to spend any more time than I absolutely had to. Of course, I would never be in a gender studies course. Anyway, except for case of irony or fun messing with people. But you sit there and you watch this, and I just said, God, I had a curse to my friends. Social media didn't exist when I was in college. So I would have laughed about it to everybody else and I would have got it taken care of. Never would have thought to go complain. But now since everybody is like, ah, that person's three-ring binder had a message written on it that I, they, they supported a band that I don't like and I find that to be offensive. They, they had a band written on there that is nothing but straight white men in that band. And so I, I feel threatened. I'm sorry for your loss. We'll make sure that student is removed from court class and they are only allowed remote learning. As long as this system exists and it is being weaponized against normal people, normal people need to avail themselves of it every single chance they get. So I salute this decision. I salute this action. I think it's pretty damned awesome. And you go and you get these people and you hold their feet to the fire because they're the arsonists. They started the damn thing. Hold their feet to the fire. All right, I want to shift gears away from insanity on college campuses to insanity on MSNBC. It, it is really, um, it's really one of the biggest. It's a scandal, really, for the profession and for politics that Jen Psaki, when she was White House spokesmodel parlayed her position while she was holding it into a job in the media at MSNBC. And there was like a two-month overlap where everybody knew she she got the contract. It was a done deal. She was not dealing with an adversarial press. She was dealing with colleagues there. 
in the White House press briefing room, and everybody just kind of pretended like, eh, no, this is normal, this is good. We're going we're gonna to do our job as vigorously as we ever did. And actually, they, they did because they never did their job vigorously. <laughs> of course, Jen Psaki could remember facts and uh, remember data and remember what the White House's position was on things, unlike the wildly historic, if I mentioned she's historic, Karine Jean-Pierre. KJP is a bipedal three-ring binder. And if it's not in the bi- even if it's in the binder, she's not she's iffy with it at best. But when she reads it directly, she's horrible at it. Like I, she makes me feel better because you know I have dyslexia, so it's like horrible reading, you know, raw for the first time. But she makes me think, you know, that I'm a, a literary star. I can I could start narrating all books on tape compared to what she does. But uh, she's got the job now. She took it over from good old Ginger Goebbels. And she went and made it official and went over to MSNBC. Now, she has a weekend show. She's a media darling. She she is the new Scott Pelley. Scott Pelley, I think, is still probably at 60 Minutes. But Scott Pelley had an unofficial job with the Democratic National Committee. And that was... I guess they took over from Steve Croft. And that was when a politician, a Democratic politician, was in a little bit of hot water. They had, and they had to sit down with somebody in the media. They had no choice. They had to give an interview to somebody. They went to the most slobbering member of the media as possible, right? And it used to be 60 Minutes where they'd get the the hard-hitting 60 Minutes interview where they'd just let them say whatever they wanted to say with no, I mean, Democrats, anyway, say whatever they wanted to say with no real follow-up, no adherence to facts, no real threat to challenge anybody. But now that's MSNBC. It's the warm blanket. It's all of MSNBC, really. Ginger Goebbels has been on the show, on the air for not very long, and she's already had sit-downs with all of the quote-unquote big names in Democratic Party politics. You had Joe Biden just last week run off. He's right in front of the press corps. He's right. He comes out. He gives a statement on. I forget which Supreme Court case it was. He gave the statement on. But he gives a statement. He reads it barely, and then he does the little old guy shuffle. You know, the one where he's not really picking up his feet, but he's not really dragging his feet. And it's like, please, Lord, don't let me trip trip over anything. The kind of thing when you were a kid and you were wearing slippers and pajamas that you you walked like that because you wanted to get some, be able to shock your sister. You go up and touch her ear or her nose and big shock. That's kind of how Joe walks now. And so he slowly shuffles out of the room. I think he stopped and said, "It's not a, it's not a normal court or whatever." And then he he goes and he gets in the car and he runs over to MSNBC where Nicole Wallace is sitting there welcoming him with open arms and an open mouth kiss. Uh, Joe Joe was treated the way Joe used to treat staff in the abandoned hallways of the United States Capitol when he went to uh, MSNBC. She didn't ask one single question about her son, who had just pleaded guilty to crimes, barely crimes, but crimes nonetheless, that week. Because why would anybody mention... You mentioned that on MSNBC, and uh, they'd be going, "What what is this... Joe Biden has kids? They wouldn't even know. They know he has six grandkids over at MSNBC. They don't know that he has seven grandkids. But in fairness to Joe, Joe might not even know he has seven grandkids, to be honest with you. That's the one defense that I can say in uh, Joe Biden's uh, column. 
when he ignores the little kid, the little daughter, five-year-old, I guess now, daughter, Navy, that uh, Hunter made sure did not get the Biden name when he refused to pay child support for, leveraged paying child support uh, to exchange that for the kid never having his name. Maybe Joe doesn't know that that kid exists. Maybe he forgot that that kid exists. Or maybe he's just a horrible person who raised at least two out of three kids to be degenerates in one form or another, but wildly successful degenerates, weirdly. Never seen anybody with no discernible skills in an entire family make so much money. It's a testament to the greatness of America, I guess. But I'm straying. Talking about Ginger Goebbels, she did a monologue that went a little bit uh, viral, I guess you could say viral. Not super viral, but amongst the intelligentsia on the left, it went a little crazy on social media because they... They think that, it's weird how the hive mind. Once they think they've got something, they're like a like a German shepherd holding on to a knotted rope that you need. You're like I got to take this rope, and the dog's like, "I'm not letting go of this thing to save my life." They uh, in that tug of war, they never let go. You kind of have to trick them to get them to let go of it. That's how the leftist media is when they come up with something they view as smart. They view it as smart if it advances the left-wing narrative. The left-wing narrative is always designed to confuse and obfuscate, to distract from reality. Reality is not their friend. So with that in mind, as the left does everything they can, the reason we have hyphenated Americans, the reason we had hyphenated everything is because of Democrats. They love the hyphens, divide to conquer. Simple, simple strategy that they have with the American people. Divide to conquer. And so what do they do? They accuse Republicans of being the divisive ones. Republicans are the divisive ones. They refuse to treat people differently based on their immutable skills. You go, wait a second, isn't that the... Kind of the definition of racism is to judge people based on the color of their skin, not the content of their character. Not anymore. The party of segregation, which is what the Democrats were, they they created it. Once once Republicans took away slavery, they said, well, we're going to have then de facto slavery and second-class citizenry. They invented Jim Crow. They invented segregation. They rode that until they no longer could. Then they filibustered the civil rights bills for long, longest filibuster in history, I believe. Then eventually it passed with a more uh, higher percentage of, there weren't very many Republicans in the government at the time, but a higher percentage of Republican votes than Democrat votes would not have passed without Republican votes. And Democrats have been saying, we've done this, we've done that, we did this, we did the other thing. Lyndon Johnson had sabotaged previous civil rights legislation while he was the Senate Majority Leader. He literally sabotaged civil rights legislation under Dwight Eisenhower, got rid of all the enforcement mechanisms, made it basically toothless, and then therefore worthless. Why? Because he knew that if Republicans did what Republicans wanted to do, Democrats would not have a chance at the black vote. Demography was changing. Democrats wanted that voting block. But they also wanted to keep the racists down there. So they had to play both sides against the middle, and they did it fairly successfully. 
Democrats then looked at their own dirty history, like Al Gore's father helping lead the filibuster against the Civil Rights Act, and they said, we can't, uh, we can't have the world knowing this. We can't do that. We've got to rewrite history. So what did they do? They came up with the idea that the Southern strategy was wildly racist and responsible for pretty much every hate crime you've ever heard of. How did they do that? Well, it was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was a pariah after Watergate, so it was easy to blame him for anything, to accuse him of anything. It was There was a nation of people who they recoiled at the name of Richard Nixon, by and large, not completely, but by and large. And Republicans surely were not going to come out and defend Richard Nixon on anything. You wanted to accuse Richard Nixon of being a horrible person, a white beater, they're going to go, all right, go ahead, call him that, I don't care. I'm not going to defend Richard Nixon on anything. Richard Nixon can defend himself. And so Democrats seized on that. And they created this idea that the Southern strategy was designed to flip the South from Democrat to Republican. It was racist, which is weird because they're kind of passively admitting that Democrats were racist before then. They're just saying, but then Republicans picked up the mantle. Not true at all. Matter of fact, one another lie they like to talk about around the same time is that the uh, the Democrats' embrace of civil rights caused a massive, massive outflow of Democratic politicians to the Republican Party down in the South. Right? That's what they say. They as soon as the Democrats got behind civil rights, the South flipped. Then the Southern strategy came in, and that's the Republicans really solidifying it in 1968 after the Civil Rights Act uh, in 1965, that really got it. And all these Democrats became Republicans because they're racist. And then you look it up, and there were exactly two two Democrats that uh, switched parties. Strom Thurmond was one of them. The other one was a member of the House. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter now. But there were only two, literally only two. Joe Biden came into the Senate in 1963, January 1963, and what? He was mentored by a whole bunch of segregationist, racist, Democratic senators. He still he bragged about it until somebody finally got through his thick skull. You probably shouldn't be bragging about that. So with all that in mind, listen to Ginger Goebbels try and rewrite history. See, the lie repeated often enough will become truth to uncurious, stupid people. That's what Democrats are counting on. Here is uh, Ginger Goebbels from Sunday on MSNBC. So lately I've been noticing the reemergence of a very old GOP playbook that harkens back to President Richard Nixon's infamous Southern strategy. During his campaign for president in 1968, the Republican Party made a concerted effort to reach white Southerners who used to vote for Democrats by playing to their fears of African-Americans and the civil rights movement. And it worked. By pitting one group of Americans against another, the GOP successfully managed to split off Southern whites from the Democratic Party. Now, decades later, the right wing is reviving that same playbook, this time with Muslim Americans and trans people. It worked. It worked. Boy, by golly and howdy, did it ever work, except it didn't work. (laughs) Let's be honest. It didn't work. But it doesn't matter because, it, well, if you just look at the fact that they peeled off, peeled off whites, peeled off those evil white people to the uh, 
Republican Party. That's that's not true. Richard Nixon carried South Carolina and North Carolina and Tennessee. Those would be the only southern states, really. He didn't carry Georgia. He didn't carry Alabama. He didn't carry Mississippi. He didn't carry Arkansas. He didn't carry Louisiana. George Wallace, as an independent candidate, a Democrat as well, uh, really he was a Democrat darling, he carried those states, took them away from Hubert Humphrey. They didn't go red. They didn't go to Republicans. The idea that somehow the evil Southern strategy in 1960 just flipped the South to Republicans is factually inaccurate. If you actually look it up, and it doesn't matter what unit of measure you use, you can go and you can look at United States senators. The senators from the South were largely, there were anomalies, but throughout the 20th century, they were Democrats. Governors in Southern states, those slave states that were Democrat strongholds, they were almost uniformly Democrats until a certain political event. It wasn't Nixon's Southern strategy in 1968. If 1968, the Southern strategy, flipped all these racist Democrats to being racist Republicans, therefore turning the South to Republicans, it had a very long fuse. Why? What do I mean? Because the South didn't turn Republican until 1994. It did not turn Republican until 1994. Look up any map of governors, look up any of the southern states, and look at the governors, and you'll occasionally see somebody who what, had one term as a Republican, and that's it until 1994. What happened in 1994? Well, Arkansas governor, former Arkansas governor, William Jefferson Clinton, became president of the United States January 20th, 1993. He then put his wife in charge of health care. He then set about doing all sorts of things, gun control, uh, trying to take over the health care, they say, all manner of corruption, all manner of things that Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton are known for. And it caused the United States of American citizenry, caused Americans to recoil from that. He said, no, I don't want anything to do with that. At that point, the red wave in 1994, the Republican Revolution, the contract with America, that is when, for the first time since the Civil War, if not before, Republicans got a majority of House seats from the South, Republicans got a majority of Senate seats from the South, and Republicans got a majority of governor's mansions in the South. It had nothing to do with Richard Nixon. Literally nothing to do with Richard Nixon. But to hear Ginger Goebbels tell it, it was, it was because of those evil Republicans. Then why did it take so long? Why did it take 26 years to flip it if it was just about evil Republicans appealing to people based on their skin color and appealing to hatred and dividing people? Why did it take so long? If the Southern strategy was in fact that, why did it have a 26-year fuse? She can't answer that because she'll never be questioned. She may not know. She may not know. This has been a lie amongst Democrats for so long that it's a possibility that they're all so lazy that they just, it's one of those stories that gets repeated and gets repeated and nobody questions it because, well, everybody knows. Everybody knows. It could be the Pauline Kale thing. I don't know how Nixon got reelected. I don't know anybody who voted for him. Well, 
says more about your insulated life than anything else, doesn't it? So after Ginger Goebbels lies, oh, the horrible Southern strategy, horrible Southern strategy that she can't articulate, she does. It's just Southern strategy is racist. That's the Pavlovian response of, of many on the left, of really anybody on the left. You talk to some committed, I'm not talking about Democrat voters, the average person who, my mom was a Democrat, my daddy was a Democrat, my grandparents were, we're a Democrat family. Like, really? Oh, yeah, we grew up, we had a picture of JFK right next to Jesus in the, the kitchen, hanging on the wall. Like, okay. You realize, of course, JFK couldn't even get a daytime speaking slot at the Democrat convention under this current regime, right? JFK was a military guy, loved the country, loved ladies, loved the country almost as much. And uh, he didn't like communism, right? JFK actually cut taxes to help stimulate the economy, crazy stuff like that. JFK would not be invited to valet park cars at the Democratic National Convention nowadays he is a walking hate crime so yeah there you, there you go but they don't care it's a, this is the problem for republicans when trying to crack the democrat nut they always say well <laughs> republicans they've moved so far to the right so far how how have republicans moved so far to the right well they're extremists on just about everything they're maga extremists everybody knows that that's the about the extent of the discussion or debate skills that democrats currently have well everybody knows everybody and they go yeah everybody else all the whole panel you can get 17 boxes up there on morning joe one way of looking at things and they all just go yep that's right absolutely republicans maga extremists they're a threat to democracy maga extremists and you ask them how and nobody will it's it goes over like a fart in a car. They just will not. They're not interested. What do you mean how? What do you mean? Obviously, everybody knows this. You're obviously some sort of extremist yourself that you're going to sit there and ask me how. They can't debate. They can't discuss. They're not used to challenges, and they don't go anywhere there are challenges. There's no real Republicans, no real conservatives on uh, MSNBC. Who do they have? They have Nicole Wallace and Michael Steele. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's just say those are not two people that would anchor a trivia team. Not super bright, not too quick on the uptake, but willing to be useful idiots because there's money in it. And there's good money in it if you're willing to sell out what you claimed you once believed in. But the idea, the ideas that these people spew, that these Democrats spew, are, are so factually so far away from reality as to be laughable, like the Southern strategy was a racist Republican ploy that flipped the South to, to Republic. It took 26 years later, after the racist Southern strategy, 26 years later. Then finally, the South went solid Republican. And doesn't that seem a little bit weird? I mean, there's everybody loves the slow burn in... Uh, in politics but it is uh, that's a really exceedingly slow burn i think right the only thing they they can hang their hats on is 1972 nixon won the south yeah he did, well because george mcgovern was a terrible <laughs> terrible candidate who the country overwhelmingly rejected uniformly rejected they just said, ew, gross, no thank you. That's it. He took Massachusetts and he took D.C. That's it. 
massive slaughter in the electoral college, massive slaughter in the public, uh, uh, the popular vote, 60 percent to 37 percent. That was Democrats. I go, well, that uh, shows you that the Southern strategy obviously worked. Southern strategy worked. It appealed to all the horrible, horrible racists, blah, 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 blah. And then Jimmy Carter ended up winning. Jimmy Carter ended up winning the South again in 1976. Yeah, Jimmy Carter ended up winning. How do you, how do you square that circle? You can't square that circle. You don't have to. The, there is no thinking. There is no challenge. There is no nothing. Jimmy Carter was so bad as president that, yes, Ronald Reagan won the South, except for Georgia, in 1980. But then he won pretty much everywhere in 1980 because Jimmy Carter was so terrible. But it didn't flip governor's mansions. It didn't flip the House seats. It didn't flip the Senate. Not until 1994. But Ginger Goebbels is insisting that no, the Republicans, they divide to conquer, they divide to conquer. The party that brought you segregation, that created it, the party that brings you now, separate but equal, proms, dances in college, dormitories, they're, they're just this close to bringing back the drinking fountains. They're hoping that the plumbing is still there. Oh, no, but this time it's, in the, it's under the guise of tolerance. See, Democrats have never change their objective they've simply altered their tactics that's it just a, a different way of going about the same thing if you look back at what it is this is this is how the democrats have always worked by the way climate change in the 1960s and 70s was the coming ice age we were all going to die in newsweek and time we're running big exposés on how maybe we should cover the uh, north pole with ash with ash to try and melt some of these ice caps because it was all freezing we're gonna we're all gonna be eskimos sooner or later we're gonna culturally appropriate those uh, fur parkas the funny thing happened on the way to the ice age is it started getting warmer it started the climate changed because that's what climates do that's why you can have something called the medieval warm period and the little ice age both of those things happened look them up the left buries the results, use Bing or something like that, or DuckDuckGo. If you search on Google, you won't find them as readily, I don't think, as you will if you use a real search engine. But they're out there. Long before the SUV was created, the earth got warmer. They were growing wine in the UK, which is weird. Grapes, it's not really a type of climate where those things flourish these days. But in warmer climates, they, uh, they did. And then the Little Ice Age, where it froze, pretty much, in Great Britain. And you go, wait a second, that doesn't seem right. How did Ford cause that? And you realize that it might have something to do with that big ball of fire in the sky and the solar cycles, but that's beside the point. That's where we get most of our heat. But they changed. They went from global warming or global cooling to global warming. And then a funny thing happened there. There was a 15-year pause on temperatures, basically. And I said, oh, wait a second. Now we'll just call it climate change. We're sick of having to change the embroidery on the towels to whatever it is we're going to claim next. But consistent throughout that, no matter what the problem was, warming or cooling, the solution remained the same. I don't know how you can say we have this serious problem and here's the solution for it. More government, more taxes, more regulation. And then they said, uh, wait a second. That problem we told you about, 
It's the exact opposite. The exact opposite. Literally 180 degrees. Somebody threw the car in reverse. But the solution stays the same. You know, not too many problems that are real have that kind of uh, symmetry when it comes to the solutions. So that's how the left works. They have quote-unquote solutions. They have policies they wish to advance in search of a problem. They look for opportunities. They have things just like gun control. Something horrible happens. Some monster does something horrible with a gun, and they pull out a piece of legislation they've had in their desk the whole time. They say, here's the solution to the problem. And then you point out how you know, the FBI dropped the ball. There was no background, whatever it is. And they go, oh, well, that's different. You want to ban assault weapons? Well, the guy used a handgun. That Don't question things. Let's move on. Or what they already did. They broke the law to buy their weapon. It doesn't matter. We must punish the law-abiding citizens in order to protect them from themselves. That is the mentality we're dealing with when we deal with these people. With that in mind, we listen to the next Gen Saki clip. Hear me out here. The GOP is trying to recruit Muslim Americans, a community that makes up less than 2% of the U.S. population, against another tiny marginalized group of Americans, transgender people. It's important to remember that back in 2011, during the Republican primary, the right wing had designated Muslim Americans as public enemy number one. No surprise, given that conspiracy theorists, remember the birthers? I do had been trying for years to portray President Obama as a Trojan horse for Sharia law. Republican after Republican candidate ginned up fear about the fabricated threat posed by an Islamic legal doctrine debated by scholars for centuries. To them, the imaginary prospect of Sharia law in this country was scarier than gun violence, climate change, and more important to discuss than, say, millions of people who didn't have health care. Well, yeah, it was. (laughs) But you got to love this. You build up a straw man, you set it on fire. It's amazing how you can win every fight, you shadow box. It's weird how you can set every straw man you build up on fire. Now, there were talk of uh, Sharia law being implemented in various enclaves around the country, but Ginger Goebbels doesn't bother to go through and give you the details of it. I, as somebody who lived in Dearborn, Michigan for about five years during college and before, witnessed it firsthand that there were different standards and cultural standards. Cultural differences, absolutely fine. Viva la difference. I love the food. But once it started being cited in law and people were starting to use it as an excuse for various things that were against American law, but in... uh, in accordance with Sharia law, and certain courts up in liberal enclaves like Wisconsin started to uh, accept it a little bit. That was what Republicans were talking about. You nip these things in the bud. You point them out. You draw attention to them so that the courts begin to recognize where the, you know, the sentiment of the public is and that we're paying attention. And you can't just implement it because you like it. It's a far cry from what she's imposing or implying there. But then again, she never, Democrats never let the facts get in the way of a good story. Why would they? They don't have any facts. (laughs) If they let them get in the way of a good story, they wouldn't have a good story to tell, ever. So they simply lie and project. Missing from Ginger Goebbels' argument are facts to back it up. 
real stories to back it up and no reporting whatsoever on the news stories at the time that Republicans were commenting on. Again, when the facts don't support you, just argue, right? First, argue the facts. If the facts don't, aren't on your side, then just argue. Just accuse the other side of being a problem. And that's what passes for commentary or news on MSNBC. She wasn't done. She kept going. Of course, there was no chance Sharia law was going to be implemented in the United States. Now, Trump's origin story is the birther movement is a part of that. But all of this also set the stage for him to make this declaration as a candidate in 2015. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Now, fast forward eight years and the right wing has focused their fear mongering on trans people. And who better to go after the new enemy than the old enemy? Consider this from 2015. We cannot be the warehouse of all these you know, Muslim people coming from these far-flung lands where you know, we, we're just not going to be able to uh, control who becomes radicalized, who doesn't, because of technology. It's impossible. Now, if you can believe it, Laura Ingram is rallying Muslims against books in schools with LGBTQ plus themes. Us Catholics and uh, uh, other Christians, other people of faith have been waiting for the Muslims to step up on this issue. In an interview later with Semaphore, Laura Ingram's guest, who you just saw on the screen, couldn't believe how ironic this all is. He said, quote, five years ago, Laura was saying we shouldn't have Muslims in this country. Now she's saying, thank God the Muslims are here. Laura Ingram, you heard the clip. She did not say we shouldn't have Muslims in this country. It was about the massive refugee influx, the migrant crisis from the Arab Spring, the failed leadership of the Obama administration in the Middle East. She also cut off Donald Trump in the, the quote there, until we find out what the hell is going on. Because why? Because we were accepting, under Barack Obama, a whole bunch of people were unscreened from places where we couldn't get any facts, like Syria. They're not exactly cooperating on criminal activity in Syria and people coming to the United States. All the context is missing. Half quotes, partial quotes, and implications are all that Ginger Goebbels has because she is a propagandist, not at all interested in the truth. I understand that's her job, but uh, she really sucks at it. Got another clip here of good old Ginger Goebbels. The lies just keep on coming. I tell you, the truth is not their friend. They're anti-Muslim. Not anti-Muslim. They're anti a whole crush of people from Syria without any vetting whatsoever coming into the United States because the the Obama administration had so screwed up the so-called Arab Spring. Remember that? The Arab Spring was a perfect opportunity. Could have, could have supported the people of Iran, of Iran, and their uprising against their totalitarian government. Instead, we spent sent them like a couple billion dollars in cash. Remember that? Please, we won't we won't speak out in favor of freedom, and we'll send you a private plane full of pallets of cash. Please, just pretend that you won't develop a nuclear bomb. Okay, we'll do that. Yeah, that sounds sounds good. Hell, I'd do that too. They wanted. You sit there and you go, cash, cash. Why? Why they want cash? Well, because if you transferred the money electronically, you could you could follow where the money went. But if you have say, $2 billion in cash sitting on a tarmac somewhere in Tehran, you can break off a couple million here, a couple million there, 
And nobody knows what happens to it. Nobody knows how it gets over to, say, Europe, Germany, France, and is used to fund terror anywhere in the world. You can't trace that. The Obama administration didn't care about that. They cared about their legacy. So they kept quiet as the people of Iran were slaughtered. Oh, after the Arab Spring had ended, well, had been ended, didn't end naturally, had been ended in Iran, then the Obama administration released a statement that we support people, freedom everywhere. People ought to be able to not be uh, run over by tanks and shot by their government. Blah, blah, blah. Good, good, good. That was it. Long after it could do any good, the Obama administration came out and said something. Meanwhile, what did they do? Remember the Arab Spring? Just as an aside here, they went hard after how horrible Assad is in Syria. And Assad is is horrible. There's no question about it. And then they turned their gaze over to Libya because they, they recognized that Assad was a tap-in putt. Assad was too much. They didn't really want to upset the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, so they kind of said, eh, let's ignore Egypt too. They paid a little bit more attention. They were less worried about upsetting Egypt than they were upsetting Iran because they wanted much more from Iran. They wanted a whole bunch of broken promises from Iran so they could claim some sort of foreign policy victory. And then Hillary Clinton and the gang over in the State Department came up with a, hey, let's go after Libya. There's no greater threat in the world than Muammar Gaddafi. Now, Muammar Gaddafi is an evil SOB, and he is currently rotting on a spit in hell cooking over a low flame. And that's uh, the world is a better place for that having happened. But is he somehow, was he a special kind of evil at that time? Was he? Yeah, to his own people he was. But American foreign policy is supposed to be interested in Americans and American interests. They went after Gaddafi because they had to go after somebody. Gaddafi was contained. If you remember, after the invasion of Iraq and George W. Bush's famous, you're either with us or the terrorists, and after the invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq, Muammar Gaddafi said, you know what, I got some uh, weapons of mass destruction, nothing nuclear but chemical, biological. You can have them. Come on. Come on in. Ever since Ronald Reagan in 87, 88, whatever it was, bombed the hell out of one of his houses trying to kill him for the uh, bombing of Pan Am Flight 103, I think it was, over Lockerbie, Scotland. Muammar Gaddafi had been kind of in check. Horrible, horrible D-bag to his own people, but not a threat to his neighbors, not funding terror. He was spending all of his money and his energy solidifying his own power. In that sense, and this is going to maybe sound horrible, but in that sense, he was no threat to the United States and should have been left alone. Actually, he was a, a benefit to the United States in that he, in the absence of him, Libya could have become and would have become and did actually become a failed state that would be a haven for terrorists. Gaddafi was not going to be a haven for terrorists. He was only interested in his own power. But for some reason, we decided that he was the one we had to look out for. He was the one we had to impose the no-fly zone on. He was the one we had to bomb the hell out of from above and give arms to the people fighting him. We didn't know who they were. They didn't care who they were. They just weren't him. And so we ended up creating the collapse of the Libyan government, a failed state there where, thanks to Barack Obama and Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton Jr. III, 
we currently have slavery in Libya. Yeah, there are open-air slave markets. You could fly, fly over there and buy a human being, as disgusting as that concept is. But you have it, and it's thanks to these Democrats. And it's weird how this has never really been a story. The media's never really been all that interested in it in any way, shape, or form. Just is, and it's just ignored. Just, just as a reminder, as Democrats here, personified by uh, Jen Psaki, talk about, oh, the, the Muslims, we care so deeply about the Muslims, and it's those evil Republicans who are horrible, horrible racists and anti-Muslim, anti-Islam. First of all, Islam isn't a race, but secondly, there's one political party that created slavery for the modern Muslim world, that empowered it, that enabled it that had a chance to stand up to tyranny and instead took a seat like a drug-sniffing dog getting a whiff of Hunter Biden's suitcase, just sat right down. And it ain't the one with the R after their name, Ginger. So uh, we've got one more clip here, I believe, of Ginger Goebbels in her little monologue that the left got uh, all the tizzy about, got flushed, got uh, aroused too. Just to summarize... The right-wingers, the conspiracy theorists, the birthers, they now want us to forget the years they spent fear-mongering about Muslims and Islam. Ten years ago, standing against Sharia law was the key GOP litmus test. Now that litmus test seems to be how fervently you oppose transgender people. Just listen to what Trump himself had to say about that. Even he doesn't exactly know why he's attacking them. It's amazing how strongly people feel about that. You see, I'm talking about cutting taxes. People go like that. Talking about talk about transgender, everyone goes crazy. Who would have thought five years ago you didn't know what the hell it was? So what you just heard in that video, that sounds an awful lot like and reminiscent of what George Wallace, a staunch segregationist, once told a newspaper editor. Quote, you know, I tried to talk about good roads and good schools and all of these things that have been part of my career and nobody listened. And then I began talking about black people and they stomped the floor. So Let's be clear. This is the same old GOP playbook, another cynical ploy to tear at the fabric of our society and damage the idea that out of many, we are one, all because they want so desperately to regain the White House. (laughs) Gotta love it. George Wallace, she left off George Wallace's party affiliation for some weird reason. I can't imagine why. Oh, yes, it's because he's a Democrat. Right, he's 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 a Democrat in good standing until the moment of his death. He was a Democrat in good standing. Didn't matter. She left that out because why? Because of course she did. She gives you a half of a Trump quote and moves on quickly, saying, "Oh, see, he's he's even admitting that this is all just a ploy." No, it turns out, Jen, that Americans don't like adults talking to their children about sex. They don't like. Adults telling their kids things that are untrue. You know, you you could change your gender. You can just, if you believe it, it's true. It comes true. When I was a kid, thinking about my teachers, it was the weirdest thing. I knew nothing about them except their name. I didn't know their first name. They were Mr. or Miss or Mrs., whatever it was. That was it. I spent a lot of time with them, as everybody did in elementary school. I never once heard Miss Ross talk about her thruple, if she had a thruple. I didn't know. I didn't know if Mr. Duffy was married, not married, if he was a swinger, if he was gay, he was straight. It didn't matter. I had no idea. 
Why? Because they were too busy teaching me how to read and write and do math. They were too busy teaching me actual history, not uh, the history of how horrible this country is, as written by a Pulitzer Prize-winning lying piece of human garbage. Nope. They taught me how to think. They didn't bother with what to think. Their job was different then. Nowadays, thanks to social media and really an unbelievable degree of narcissism, I don't know what the hell is wrong with these people, these teachers record themselves confessing that they talk to their students about their pronouns and they talk to their students about their sex lives and their partners and their triples and their quadruples and whatever else you got. And they break down in tears. These people are mentally unstable. You'd be uncomfortable if one of them moved into your zip code and they're sitting there crying about, I told these kindergartners that my pronouns were they, them, and they said, okay, can we go back to playing with Legos now? It was the most accepting moment in my life. I was completely validated. I hate you, Dad. I hate you, Mom. Why couldn't you be more like a kindergartner? Why couldn't you be more like a five-year-old? And you sit there and you go, what the hell is wrong with an adult? that you need validation for your sex life from a kid. From a kid, you feel compelled to do... When I saw a teacher of mine at the grocery store or at the mall or something, it was a weird... It was like a UFO sighting. What the hell is that over there? That's that's Mrs. Forstrom. Oh, my God. She's walking with a man. Is that Mr. Forstrom? Is there a Mr. Forstrom? Mrs. Forstrom eats food? What is going on? Your mind was blown when you saw a teacher out in the wild in elementary school. Now, like every Monday, they bring out Venn diagrams of their sex partners and the clubs that they went to and, you know, draw who you think gave me which social disease. Here's a list of names. Who gave me what? Go ahead and connect the dots, kids, and we'll count that as math. Now they're teaching they're not teaching kids math. Baltimore has 22 schools where not a single student, not a single student, lots of students, not one of them, tests proficient at grade level in math. Not a one of them. But I promise you, they can list more pronouns than they can count to. Promise you that. You put five times seven on a piece of paper and they'll go... What is this? What kind of evil sorcery is this? What does the X mean? Are you making cultural, culturally insensitive jokes about Malcolm X or the masthead of the final call? How dare you? What is this? And then file a complaint. But you ask them to name the number of genders possible amongst human beings, and they will suddenly be able to go to infinity and beyond. They turn into little Buzz light years and just go absolutely crazy. It's about priorities, ladies and gentlemen. That's why the decision on affirmative action should be a wake-up call. Because if you just listen to the Democrats make the argument, <laughs> the Republicans are just mean. They just, they want to. They hate minorities. I mean, not Asians, not in America, not you know, not in people from India, but minorities. How do you justify that? How do you explain that? We don't have to explain it. It just is. You're trying to harm black kids. How? By denying them a lower barrier to entry to colleges and universities. Why, why, shouldn't we explore why you think it's needed? Are you saying implicitly, and you are, that black and brown kids can't learn as well as whites, Asians, 
Indians, anybody else? Is that what you're saying? Because it sure sounds like that's not what we're saying at all. They just need lower standards of entry. Why? Uh, Because we said so. That doesn't make any sense. It does not compute. Maybe you want to extrapolate it. Shut up, racist. Shut your mouth. Realistically, the problem is the horrible Democrat-controlled for 50, 60, 70 years education system in the major Democrat-controlled cities across the country. That's really the problem. Democrats can't talk about that because the teachers' unions fund the hell out of the Democratic Party. They can't go out there and say, we need to really demand accountability from the teachers' unions. Do you think they're going to give up those tens of millions of dollars? Absolutely not. So they just go, we need to lower the bar. We need to lower the bar. We need, in the interest of fairness and equity. Hmm. How about in the interest of justice? You stop, I don't know, polluting these kids' minds with victimhood and start teaching them. Start teaching them. You'd be amazed what a child of any configuration can accomplish if you challenge them. But no, you can't challenge them. That would, that, if you, once you prove... This is why, you know, people like the uh, real-life principal in Lean on Me, and Stand and Deliver, the teacher, why they, they were drummed out of the profession. Because the power structure, the liberal power structure in Los Angeles, I believe in both of those cases, looked at them as a threat. They disproved the theory. So wait a second. Black and brown kids are doing just as well as every other type of kid because they were challenged. They were pushed. Can't have that. God, if somebody starts doing well teaching, then they'll expect everybody to do that. (laughs) That's not what I signed up for. I signed up to be a nine-month-a-year employee with a -a 12-month-a-year salary and a government-funded pension. I ain't in for this stuff. Get them out of here. And it works because diversity or something like that. The soft bigotry of low expectations has morphed. And George Bush was absolutely a brilliant line. Whoever came up with that was an absolutely brilliant line. But it has morphed into straight up, essentially standing in the schoolhouse doors again, as Democrats are want to do. This time they're not stopping students from coming in. They want to stop parents from coming in. They want to stop anybody who might go, why aren't our children learning but uh, they're coming home telling me that uh, that they maybe need a dress or that the teacher has a uh, partner and then another partner and then another partner. See? Yeah. George Wallace, Democrats, still in the schoolhouse door. This time they're just trying to keep parents from getting in, keep pushing past them. When it comes to the 4th of July... I like to play the Declaration of Independence. Back in the early 90s, a bunch of Hollywood actors, guys, Whoopi Goldberg and Mel Gibson, Winona Ryder, you'll recognize most of the voices. They got together and they actually read the entire Declaration of Independence. And since it is Independence Day, I want to play it because, you know, what better way to mark it? than to actually have the words of the document itself. It gives a clear picture of what they were up against and why they did what they did. So without any further ado. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate 
and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable only to tyrants. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise. The state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states. For that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. 
He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us. For protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states. For cutting off our trade with all parts of the world. For imposing taxes on us without our consent. For depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury. For transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time, transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny, already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy, scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages, and totally unworthy of the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. And we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them, as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, 
do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the british crown and that all political connection between them and the state of great britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Cue the inspirational music, ladies and gentlemen. The Declaration of Independence as you roast meat and drink beers. Remember, that's what it's all about and what those men risked to get us here. That is all the time we have for Independence Day today. Hope you're having a wonderful one. We'll be back tomorrow with semi-regular programming. As semi-regular as this a regular host can give you. Appreciate you listening. See you tomorrow.